homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Sabrina, and we're talking today about Shakespeare. Now, in a couple of minutes, you're going to get to hear a wonderful interview that Vicki had with our friend Kat Patrick. Kat knows a lot about Shakespeare. And she also has some wonderful resources to share with other homeschoolers. She's a homeschool mom herself, and she has created some materials for studying Shakespeare. But before we dive into that interview, I'm going to offer a little bit of an intro, because I happen to be fairly passionate about the subject of teaching Shakespeare to high schoolers. And I had the fun of teaching a co-op class in our local community last fall and have taught the same class at various times in past years. And it is really neat to see teens who have not been exposed to Shakespeare before, who perhaps think they are not going to like being exposed to Shakespeare, and who find, wow, there's a reason that Shakespeare is so highly regarded, and I think I get why now. So let's start with the uh, assumption that you may not be a huge fan of Shakespeare. If you are, that's great, and you should message me, and we can talk about Shakespeare, and that would be really fun. But if you're not, and I find that among a lot of homeschool parents, that they don't feel equipped to introduce their kids to Shakespeare because they don't really like it, and they feel like the Elizabethan language is intimidating, and they don't really entirely understand why Shakespeare is so highly regarded, So let's start there, and I'm going to be perfectly honest and tell you that I haven't always loved Shakespeare. I love literature, I love drama, but I didn't really start to love Shakespeare until about 10 years ago when I first started working to put together a class for high schoolers. And I think the reason that I didn't like Shakespeare before that time is because of the way in which I was introduced to his work. It's quite likely the way you were introduced to his work, too. Many times, our first experience with Shakespeare is that we are given one of his plays to study in an English class in high school. And we study his play, and we learn about iambic pentameter, and we struggle through the Elizabethan English, and perhaps there's some sword fighting. That part's kind of cool. But when it's all over with, we feel like we studied something something pretty difficult. And we came away from it going, okay, I learned something about it, but why is this guy considered to be one of the greatest writers of all time? Why are people still so excited to read his plays all these years after his death? And they're kind of missing the point of why Shakespeare wrote these plays. Shakespeare wanted to entertain the masses. He wanted to tell stories. He was an absolutely amazing storyteller. And that's the part that nobody mentioned to me when I was 15 and sitting in the front row of Dr. Reddington's class in my high school. Nobody mentioned the storytelling. Shakespeare was writing for the masses. He was not writing for the educated, um, top, top upper crust, whatever, people who had had lots of schooling. He was trying to sell tickets at the theater. And he was trying to create stories that would cause people to want to come in and buy a ticket and watch the show. 
and it worked. It worked really well. He had incredible success during his lifetime, not just posthumously. So there's something about his plays that must have resonated with the common man and woman who came to the theater. And if there's still people raving about Shakespeare all these years later, perhaps there's something in his storytelling that resonates with people across time periods that tugs on something in the universal human experience. And that's what I would like to suggest. You start your teen's journey with Shakespeare by talking about. Talk about the fact that Shakespeare was telling stories, and he was telling stories that he was pretty sure would really connect with his audiences. Shakespeare created brilliant, complex characters. Characters that the audience could watch and say, oh my, I think I know that person, or perhaps that's kind of sort of me, or oh, I think if I were in that situation, that is exactly who I would become. He created relationships between characters that connected with people as real. Perhaps the circumstances were not circumstances they had encountered in their own lives, but the relationships were the kind of relationships they had in their own lives. And as they watched those types of characters with those types of relationships placed into circumstances that were perhaps not familiar, they could still connect with the story. They could put themselves in the place of the character on the stage. And it stirred their emotions and it made them angry and it made them happy and it gave them hope and it plunged them into despair. These are the things that made Shakespeare so successful. He connected with people, with his storytelling. Now, here's the other thing that nobody told me when I was in high school. Nobody told me that Shakespeare did not write his plays to be read. He wrote them to be performed. He was a playwright. He was writing things that were supposed to be performed on the stage. And, yeah, the actors had to read the plays before they could perform them, but their purpose was not just to read them and certainly not to study them. Their purpose was to bring them to life. So I think that one of the things that is helpful to an awful lot of teens in their first experiences with Shakespeare is to get a double-pronged approach here to how they're going to encounter a play. They need to see a production and read the play. Either one by itself is going to be probably really lacking. Um, it would be lovely to say that they were designed to be performed, therefore they should simply watch productions of them. But for some kids, for probably many kids, it's a little bit overwhelming because of the Elizabethan language, and it's a little bit confusing to follow what's going on. So what I have found to be really successful with a wide variety of types of students during the teen years is to take a play that we can find a good production of. There are all sorts of wonderful performances available that you can stream online or that you could purchase on DVD, and you can watch a production, watch the first act, then stop and read the first act, then watch the second act, and then read the second act, etc. That back and forth of seeing the story brought to life and then also giving your brain extra time to work through pieces of dialogue that you missed um, because the language was a little bit challenging and, and follow up that watching of a performance with reading the play really seems to work well for most of the students that I have had the pleasure of 
encountering Shakespeare with. Now, our friend Cat Patrick knows a lot about Shakespeare. She knows vastly more about it than I do, and she has created some curriculum to help kids encounter Shakespeare and to have um, a good, rich experience with it. And she has offered to make a chapter of that available to us to share with our homeschool friends. And we are very excited about that and grateful to her for sharing her knowledge and her passion for Shakespeare and his work. In addition, the three plays that I studied with my class last fall have study guides that go along with them and some suggestions for presenting the material. And we're going to have those available on Seven Sisters in the near future um, before curriculum season for 2018 is, is too far gone, so sometime the summer of 2018. And uh, we chose to do As You Like It and um, King Lear and The Tempest. And that gave us a taste of a Shakespearean comedy, a Shakespearean tragedy, and then The Tempest, which is a really kind of peculiar mix. It's called a romance. Um, it is a sort of magical, somewhat comic, somewhat serious play, and it's kind of quirky and different. So guides for those three will be coming out also. So I'm going to end this now. This is the intro part, and we're going to turn you over to Vicki and Cat Patrick, who are going to talk more with you about Shakespeare and your homeschool high school. Enjoy! and I have a special event today. Sabrina and Kim are off away doing adventures and I get to talk to my friend Kat Patrick. So we've talked to Kat before about her homeschooling in Britain, which was awesome to hear about other cultures. And uh, so having been in Britain for a while, Kat's got a lot of experience with Shakespeare. So we thought that would be a fun thing to introduce to our families who just haven't had enough Shakespeare in their lives. So so let's get started, though, with Kat. Tell us a little bit about your family and uh, kind of a condensed version on how you got to England and how you got back to the States and what your Shakespeare experiences are. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Vicki. Thanks for having me back because I really enjoyed talking with you last time. Um, yeah, my name's Kat Patrick, and the short version of how I ended up in England was I was a scholarship athlete at university and really wanted to study abroad. However, um, being a scholarship athlete, your semesters are busy in the gym. And mm. so I signed up for a summer course with my college to go over between my junior and senior year to study uh, with the, the college for um theater and English and that sort of thing in London. But that particular year, nobody signed up for it. So they canceled it. Oh, which meant I didn't get to go. So my dad said that he would pay for a year for me to do graduate school in England. And so I went uh, from a little small college in Texas to Durham University over in north part of England. And the short <laughs> version of this is, I met my future husband. Is that enough uh -huh. said? <laughs> we lived near Oxford for uh, about 20 years, really. And the great thing about 
that location is worth 30 minutes from Stratford upon Avon. Oh my goodness. Which yes. is where the Royal Shakespeare Company's theatre yeah. is. They do about three Shakespeare plays a year. <sighs> and also being near Oxford, the colleges will have a summer program of outdoor Shakespeare that you can go see. And then we're an hour and 20 minutes on the train from London. So there's lots of opportunity to see your Shakespeare. Um, but just a little bit more about my family. I have four kids. I've homeschooled them from the beginning. We do it in the Charlotte Mason method. And uh, I also teach online courses in English through Dreaming Spires Home Learning. And our new timetable's out for the autumn. And we now have um, many, many subjects in, in addition to English. So we've got Spanish, French, ancient history, we've added modern history this year, and we've got sciences as well as four years of English. So pop on by Dreaming Spires Home Learning and see our new timetable. Is that so my our, shameless our, plug? I got it in early. <laughs> yeah, I was. well, I was going to make it happen one way or the other. So Dreaming Spires, we'll put the, the link there so people can check out the, it's just a marvelous program that you have with your online courses, and they're not just uh, your run-of-the-mill things. So um, I'm glad that we can talk, and I'm glad we've got a, an, a person who's been immersed in Shakespeare to be able to talk about why on earth would you want to do Shakespeare? So you know, here we are in the States. We don't live anywhere near any Shakespeare you know, roots, um, but it's still pertinent for our kids today. And so I thought maybe I should just get you to tell us why. You know, why should kids study Shakespeare? I suppose there are two approaches to this. One of them is everyone who feels that it's important to study Shakespeare will need one kind of set of steps for doing it because they've already been convinced. They just don't know how. Mm -hmm. So I've, I recognize it's very hard to read Shakespeare. Just getting the gist of what they're talking about and who's who is yeah. most of the battle. So that's the that's the one group. <laughs> so, the people who are already, true confession about it, yeah. They're already convinced you should do it. We're just not sure how. Yeah. And then there's the people who say, Why bother? It's hard, it's old, it's not relevant. What does this have to do with getting them their high school diploma? Let me just address those people first. That's a good place to start. I have a lot of different ideas about this. And the main <laughs> one is you're not going to get to be a better reader until you challenge yourself. Right. Yes. And what better way to challenge yourself than Shakespeare? Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of them. You should do it because if you can't do it, you should try. And then the more you try, the better you get at it. Yeah. And then the better you get at Shakespeare, the easier a biology textbook will be. Or... um some literary book that you have to read, or even legal contracts, <laughs> or the small print in an insurance policy. If you can read Shakespeare, you're going to be able to tease out phrases of legal lingo and right. get the sense of what they're talking about. And personally, I believe that's really important. It develops neural stamina in a way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's one reason you should do Shakespeare <laughs> from a life skill viewpoint. Yeah. The other reason is that if you are going to be reading any kind of English literature ever, 
which I suppose some people aren't. There are so many references to Shakespeare in the books that we read. And until you read Shakespeare, you don't get them. Right. The reason that Shakespeare helps us read literature is that if you know Shakespeare, you'll recognize when people are quoting him or referring to him. Right. And it will mean the book that you're reading is that much richer and you'll understand the background. Right. So my example would be from The Merchant of Venice when the whole issue is Shylock wanting to take a pound of flesh from Antonio because Antonio made this deal with him, took out this debt with him, and he couldn't pay it back. And Shylock's excited because I get to take a pound of flesh out of this guy. And there's a lot lot going on with this pound of flesh that I won't get into. But if you hear someone say in modern culture, number one, or you're reading a book, number two, where they talk about a pound of flesh, if you've read Shakespeare, you know what that pound of flesh is referring to. And it means more to the book you're reading or the conversation you're having. It's kind of similar to people who talk about utopia and dystopia today who haven't read Utopia, which is a book by Thomas More, which was written um, during the time or just before Henry VIII. And... People often misunderstand what's meant by utopia because they don't know that book. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you also have to read more because that's a really dense book. <laughs> but I um, actually made my, my some of my kids read utopia just so that they would have the experience of knowing the concept of utopia, where that came from. Hey, so you want to know some other common Shakespeare phrases that we just don't think where they came from? I would love to hear some. I, I have them right here. So... As luck would have it. So anytime we say as luck would have it, that's from the Merry Wives of Windsor. If you're waiting with bated breath, that's from Merchant of Venice. The be all and the end all is from Macbeth. Brave New World is from The Tempest. Brevity is the soul of wit is from Hamlet. Crack of Doom is from Macbeth. Dead is a doornail is not from Dickens originally, um, but from Henry VI. For goodness sake is from Henry VIII. A foregone conclusion is Othello. Full circle is King Lear. It goes on and on. Like so much of our just common phrases that we say, we got because our our cultural roots are, are in Shakespeare. I looked that yes. up on the, the BBC America's website. <laughs> yeah, I, the the statistics of the language that we use today of words that Shakespeare coined are astonishing. Not yeah. just the phrases, but words that he created. Yeah. But But you will also see frequently in films and books, there will be a character who thinks they're very important, but they misuse words as comedy effect. And that comes from Shakespeare. He did that particularly in something like, in Much Ado About Nothing, the character of Dogberry, or or as we would say, Dogberry in England. (laughs) He's the one who can't use a word correctly to save his life. And this is for comedy effect. And the other thing that Shakespeare did, and I'm not sure he was the only one. No, I'm sure he's not the only one, but he did it really well, which was you can have a very tense play, 
but you'll often have at least one scene that's comedy in it in uh-huh. order to release the tension. Yeah. A famous version is in Macbeth, right after Macbeth and Lady Macbeth have killed Duncan. <laughs> and so what Shakespeare does is introduce this character called the Porter, who comes to answer the door, and he spends a good deal of time talking about different kinds of people he's inviting to come into hell. It's kind of difficult to understand how funny it is because of the jokes being rooted in that time period. But he's trying to make jokes about, yes, I'll have the drunk guy come in and I'll have the tailor come in who stitches people's legs the wrong length. And we would call that comic relief because it really is relieving through comedy the tension of the moment. How have you and your family studied Shakespeare in a meaningful way? Like what are some of the cool things you guys have done to make Shakespeare useful for your homeschool family? I think the coolest thing that we do is before we go see a play, because that's number one is our desire to go see it. Number two, if we can't see it, we want to watch a good film of it. And we can talk in a minute about some good films because it's very difficult with Shakespeare not to have an R-rated film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we try to do is aim for either a play or a film. These RSC plays that they live stream though they do make them available as dvds afterwards so even though i'm not going to get up at three in the morning on march the 8th to see 12th night that they're doing coming up in england this live streaming i will buy the dvd afterwards when they release it so we always aim to go see something but along the way what are we going to do to get there The first thing we do is we read the Leon Garfield version in Shakespeare stories. Leon Leon Garfield has retold Shakespeare most of the plays in two volumes, amazingly beautiful pictures, and he writes in a really wonderful way so that he retains some of the original language. And those those kind of stories, you know, in a narrative form, help the young people understand the play when they read through the play or watch it. So it's it's good to have the story in different forms. So I'll have to put links to that uh, in our in our show notes. And and just typical any way of understanding any kind of book is talking about it or what in Charlotte Mason is called narration. Having the kids narrate it is absolutely crucial. The reason narration works is because if you read it aloud or read it silently and then retell it either orally or writing it down, you have to process that story twice. Yeah, You've got input and then the output. And the output is actually more powerful because you have to organize your thoughts in your head in order to output. So in short version, you own it when you do that. So Charlotte Mason works very well in understanding Shakespeare. Yes, or just even that that one skill works yeah. very well in any kind of literature. So I know when, when we were introducing our teens to Shakespeare, we really had to start from scratch. And so we would show them 
um, started them out on the comedies because they were easier. And we would show them a, a movie if we could find one. And then we would have them do a reader's theater of the play after they saw the movie and do the, the discussing. What does all this mean? So the, you know, it's the backstory. What's the, the narration of the story? And then we would have them pick out a scene and uh, work on being the characters in the scene and kind of acting that out. So it took a, a while. And then at the end, we'd watch the movie again after they had really digested it. So we never made it through all of his plays, but they sure got the the comedies and Hamlet and Macbeth down and Henry V. And I think that's as far as we got. But it's a, it, that hands-on experience was good for them. Let's let's share about some of our favorite movies that help make Shakespeare accessible to the teens. I know some movies they do, like you said, the plays are kind of R-rated, so some are um, they've made more um, acceptable to American audiences as far as the younger generation. So my favorite of all time is Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. Have y'all seen that one? In my Ren Lit class every year, the last session, everyone has a copy of this. Yeah. We all turn it on and watch it at the same time while we have our live class going. Oh my goodness. And so we watch the film and we're typing to each other. Oh, that was really silly. Or people tend to be a few minutes out of each other, but yeah. it's such a fun way of sharing yeah. worldwide watching that yeah. film. And I, I think it's fantastic. But the RSC did a Much Ado About Nothing just a couple of years ago that you can get on um, DVD that is equally amazing. Uh. And I highly recommend people also get that. The two of them together will really help you understand Much Ado About Nothing, the play, so that you can tease out the difference between the play and the production. And and to see, yeah, the different ways that it's presented on film or on stage and just the different interpretations is a great idea. How about Twelfth Night? I that we really liked it's an older one with Ben Kingsley and Helena Bonham Carter. And it, we just thought that was a really cute version of that. Yeah, absolutely love that one. So one of the, the histories that, because we wanted our kids to have some of the histories, and so they um, really liked the Kenneth Branagh version of Henry V, which blessed Kenneth Branagh's heart. He was trying to make Shakespeare accessible to a broader population, I think. And I, we really liked how he did Henry V. Yeah, I, superb. But, you know, I think he's been eclipsed. I think he was he's been eclipsed by the first Hollow Crown series that the BBC did a couple uh, of years ago. And okay, he's been uh -huh. eclipsed by Tom Hiddleston, who plays Henry oh. V. Everyone else will know him probably as Loki yes. in the Marvel films. Yeah. He so what they did um in this series was they did Richard II, Henry the Fourth Part One, Henry the Fourth played by Jeremy Irons, Henry the Fourth Part Two and Henry V in a four-part series. It is the most electrifying, brilliant series of Shakespeare plays that you can get on DVD now. So, so Richard II, uh -huh. played by Ben Wishaw, people might know him as the new, is he called Q? He's the Q in the new James Bond films. Ah. And he's fantastic as Richard II, 
And then once you get into Henry the Fourth, the three Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fourth one, two, and Henry the Fifth, you get Tom Hiddleston playing Hal, and he can be whimsical and. I mean, for one thing, he's gorgeous, right? But he can be whimsical and irresponsible, but he's always regal. Uh Then Mm -hmm. when he becomes king and the seriousness of him, and you see it when he plays Loki, Mm -hmm. he has that mischievous smile and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden he goes evil. Uh And he takes that same adaptability into the the Hollow Crown series. Now, if you're going to watch a hen, uh, a sorry, a Richard the Third, I recommend Ian McKellen's Richard the Third. It has Robert Downey Jr. in it and oh. playing um, Earl Rivers. Yeah. Not for long though, because it's a tragedy, so he dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is one scene. It's actually the Robert Downey Jr. scene when he's murdered. That is a little bit iffy because he's lured into a room with a woman and there's suggestions of things going on although nothing's shown and he is killed by the um a knife going through his stomach coming up through the bed but it's not gruesome or gory Uh um so it's probably okay for high schoolers yeah but it's an amazing performance and a brilliant richard the third How about um, Accessible Macbeth or Hamlet or one of the tragedies? Ian McKellen's Macbeth Uh, from, I believe, 1979-1980 with Judi Dench as Lady Macbeth. That's the only Macbeth, and I've never seen it done better in performance either. And David Tennant's Hamlet that uh, has Patrick Stewart playing Claudius, um, that is amazing. That's yeah. really, really good. David Tennant is, of course, the Doctor Who of yeah. not too many years ago, and he does a yeah. really brilliant job. All right, so if we had a kid who wanted to really delve into Shakespeare um, with someone that really knows Shakespeare, so we want to do some real Shakespeare work, they could come and take a Dreaming Spires course, right? Uh, Absolutely. So in our Renaissance Lit class, we do three Shakespeare's. We do Richard II, Macbeth, and Much Ado About Nothing because I wanted to do a history, a tragedy, and a comedy. Um, But we put it into context also. So we read Utopia. We read a book of Fairy Queen. We then will read Macbeth. We'll do sonnets. Um, Then we read Pilgrim's Progress and all of Paradise Lost which is quite something, but by the time they get there, their reading ability is really uh, zoomed ahead and they can do it. And then we finish off with Much Ado About Nothing. So we cover from, it's roughly 1530 to about 1680. So we cover a broad range. But the best thing is, this is my specialty, or as we say in England, my speciality. My specialty is literary history of the 17th century. And you get a lot of discussion about things like imprisonment, because that's one of my specialties too. You get a lot about um, the politics and the religion, and um, a lot about the English Civil War, because that's my particular time period. And we, we talk a lot about you know, how you write about the king without getting your head cut off and those kinds of issues. So I think um, 
To be honest, I could hardly think of anyone better to teach a Renaissance class than someone who that's their specialty, that's their love. They've lived in England and gone to all the places. They've seen all these plays. You know, every Shakespeare play that I teach, I've seen probably five different productions of and taught it over and over and over again to kids all over the world. So if you want a good course, that's a good one to start with. So we, I will definitely put links to Dreaming Spires so that our, our kids, it really, it's so worth the investment. Um, it's just a culturally good, it's good for the kids. So, all right, well, I better wrap it up. So thank you, Kat Patrick, for being with us today. And uh, people can check the show notes for lots of links because we've mentioned a lot of different things. Also, Kat is going to include a freebie for people who want to explore Shakespeare. So, Kat, would you explain that for us? So I'm putting together a Shakespeare copy workbook where I'm going to go through a number of Shakespeare's plays and pick out some really important soliloquies or scenes for kids to copy just as part of copy work, which as a Charlotte Mason follower, that's just something we do as a skill in in my kids' own homeschool. It's another way of getting into Shakespeare and understanding better what he's saying. If you have to copy each word, it helps you slow down and understand his words better. Um, But it's a book that I'm working on, A Labor of Love. I finished the chapter on Comedy of Errors, and so that's the freebie I'm going to give everybody as a PDF of the Comedy of Errors copy copy work chapter. So we will have a link to that, and it's a free gift from Kat and well worth the uh, investment of time. So hop over to um, the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and you will find the links to that on the Homeschool High School podcast page. All right, and we will see you back next time on the Homeschool High School podcast brought to you by sevensistershomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.